Well, we are going to be doing things a little bit differently today because we had a software malfunction this morning. So we're going to be re-going over this sermon from today, April 2nd, um, just through podcast. So as kind of we continue in this series in James this week, I just want to start by thanking everyone in our church and everyone listening for leaning in so heavily into this series of talks and really for just receiving what it is that God is speaking over these gatherings. James can be a very, very hard book to handle, but I have heard from multiple people how they're allowing the power of God and the power of his word to shape the way that they think and the way that they live. So I just want to say right off the bat how amazing it is that we're getting to spend this time together and that in this time, God is showing up and doing what he does. Over the past several weeks, we've been studying our way through this book of James, and it has really unloaded some massive truths that I just want to refresh us in, in our minds before we continue into where God is going to take us this morning. And the first thing we saw in this book of James is that suffering is unavoidable. In this life, suffering is unavoidable. It says in James 1 verses 2 and 3, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Look, we're all going to face trials in our lives. We're all going to face suffering in our lives. And when that happens, when we face those trials, when we face these storms, when these sufferings come, we can make one of two choices, and that is we can either crumble under the weight of that suffering, and we can allow that suffering to shatter us, or the other choice is we can lean into the truth that our suffering is producing perseverance in us and is producing faith in us. Why? So that we're prepared to walk in everything that God has called us to do and to live as the people God created us to be for everybody that's listening to this today, God has called you to do something. God has created you for something. And it's only when we can persevere through this suffering that God creates in us and builds up in us what we need to do the next thing that he's called us to do. And the second thing we unpacked in this book of James is God, uh, God's desire for us that we would have wisdom and that we would have an understanding of him and an understanding of his power and an understanding of his plans. But in order to receive that wisdom, we must have real faith. If we want to receive the wisdom that comes from God, receive the understanding that comes from God, we've got to have real faith. That says in verses 5 through 7, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, when you ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, and that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If our prayer is that we would receive wisdom from God and our prayer is that we would receive understanding from God, then God wants to answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer if it's prayed in faith without doubt. Because the truth is that doubt-filled faith is not faith at all. And if we don't have real faith, 
then the word says we can expect to receive nothing from God. Not just that we can't expect to receive wisdom from God, but that we can expect to receive nothing, not healing, not hope, not peace, not freedom, not even salvation. Without real faith, we can receive nothing from God. And then finally, last week, we talked a little bit about temptation. And what we saw about temptation is that it never comes from the Lord. Temptation never comes from God. God tests, but he never tempts. It says in verses 13 through 14, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. God doesn't tempt you, but make no mistake about it, you will be tempted. And when we're tempted, we have the choice to either step into that temptation that the word says gives birth to sin, which leads to death, or we can lean into the grace of God, which leads to forgiveness, which gives birth to life. So this morning, we're going to continue in James 1, and we're going to look at something a little easier to stomach, if that's okay, and that is the goodness of God. We're going to look at the goodness of God. The title of this message this morning is Every Good Thing. Every Good Thing. And my prayer today is that as we continue through this letter from James to believers that have scattered all over the country, that we would have our eyes opened to the reality of who God really is and to the great gift that he offers every single person listening. James 1, 16 through 18, our text for today says this, Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. There are four things I believe God wants us to see in this passage today. And the first one is obvious right from the start. You have an enemy that is looking to deceive you. You've got an enemy. His name is Satan and he wants to deceive you. Verse 16 says, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. And I know we've covered this in other talks in the series, but we've got to understand today right off the bat that the main goal of Satan, the main goal of our enemy is to lie to us and to make us believe things about the world, about the word and about ourselves that are completely untrue. The hard truth is that the enemy wants you to be, to be deceived in every area of your life. This is his mission. And he will do everything in his power to see that mission come to pass. The second part of John 8 verse 44 says he was a murderer, talking about Satan, from the beginning, not holding to the truth. Why? For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the question right now is just how does he lie to us? Or more than that, how does he consistently deceive us into believing that what he says is truth? 
And I believe the number one way he does this is by tricking you and tricking me into thinking that the good things in our life are coming from anywhere but God. Psalm verse 2 out of chapter 16 says, I say to the Lord, David wrote this, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So what we've got to understand is that apart from God, we have nothing that's good. Apart from the Lord, we don't have anything in our lives that's excellent. And no matter how many lies that Satan has told you, there's nothing in your life that's good that has not come from Jesus. Now, we've got to understand that there are always going to be things that seem good. There are always going to be things that feel good. There are always going to be things that we think are good, but at the end of the day, we got to realize that they are not so good. After all, all of the quote-unquote good things this world has to offer are only good for a season, but ultimately they will always lead us to a place where we're left wanting. You got to get this today. There's nothing in this life that leads to sin that does not come from the enemy. And there is no sin in this life that will bring you anything that is sustainably good. It might feel good in the moment. It probably will feel good in the moment. Sin usually does. But as our pastor always says, something that that he says so often, and I'll never forget it. It says that sin always takes you further than you want to go. Sin keeps you longer than you want to stay. And sin costs you more than you want to pay. It always takes you further than you want to go. Keeps you longer than you want to stay. And costs you more than you want to pay. That's what sin does to us in our lives. And that's the lie that the enemy wants us to buy into. Is that sin is going to bring us good things. And only the good things that come from God are what's going to bring us fulfillment. So the enemy deceives you in every area of your life is the first thing. And the second thing we see in this text is that every single good thing in your life comes from the Lord. The first part of verse 17 said, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Here's the thing. Every single thing in your life that is truly good comes straight from the Lord. We have to understand that everything that feels good doesn't come from God, but everything that is good, everything that is exceptional comes down from the Father. Genesis 31, right from the beginning, right from creation, right as God is breathing out all of creation, it says God saw all that he made and what? It was very good. So right from the beginning of time, everything God breathed life into was good. And we've got to know right now that it's still true today. Everything God breathes life into is completely good. But here's the hard part. Everything on this planet is not inherently good. So how do we reconcile the goodness of God and the evil that we experience. How do we reconcile the goodness of our God and the evil that's in this world? Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So here it is. 
while everything in this world is not good, God has the power to work every single thing for the good. While everything in this world is not good, God has the power to work every single thing for the good. While everything in this world is not perfect, God has the power to work everything out to fulfill his perfect plan. And while there are things in this world that are inherently bad, God has the power to turn them around and to redeem those stories for his glory. We are in direct conflict with a deceiver. That's the first thing. But God provides everything good in our lives. That's the second thing. And the third thing is this. God never changes. God never changes. The second part of verse 17, verse 17 says that he, being God, does not change like shifting shadows. One of the biggest truths that we got to understand in all of Scripture is that our God never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean for us? It means for us right now in this moment that Jesus is the same that he's always been. Well, why does that matter? It matters because every promise that Jesus has made and every word that he's spoken in the past is still true over your life today. Every word that's written in these scriptures that was written over 2,000 years ago is still true in your life today. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. God wants you to know today that there are promises he's spoken over your life. There are promises that he's prophesied over your life. That there, there are words that he's spoken over your life that are far truer than anything that the enemy tries to speak over your life. Why? Because everything that the enemy tries to speak over your life is a lie. We've already said it, but the enemy wants you to think that the things of, these world, of this world are good things. But God wants you to be assured that all the goodness on this planet is found in who he is and what he's promised. The enemy wants to deceive you in every area of your life, but God wants you to know this morning that every good thing comes from him and he's never changed and he's never will. We're facing a deceiver, but every good thing comes from God and he's a God that's never changed. And the final thing is this, the greatest gift that he's ever given he gives us new life in Jesus Christ. James 1.18 says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What we've got to understand is that from the moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, sin entered the story of humanity and became a lethal virus that affects all of mankind from birth. There is no one born that is not infected with this sin virus. There is no one born that is not born into a sinful nature. And this virus, this nature, separates us from having a relationship with our Creator. 
So if nothing else, I came here to declare to you today that there is one antidote and one antidote only to this virus of sin. There is one fix to this sin problem, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that bridged the chasm between us and God because sin created a gap that nothing could fill except for Jesus. So by that sacrifice of Jesus, the door has been flung wide open for us to now step into a relationship with God, a relationship with our creator, and become a loved son or a loved daughter of the king of the universe. A loved son or daughter of the one who breathed everything into existence and the one from whom all goodness flows. Landing it here, it says in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Can anybody identify with that? I know I can. At one time we were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived, we were enslaved by all passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, hello, being hated and hating one another, hello. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, that's Jesus. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. God didn't just give us a little bit of the Spirit. God didn't just sprinkle us with the Spirit. God gave us the fullness of it. God poured the Spirit out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Can I just take you on a quick journey through scripture to close this message today? Because this is the heart of the gift of grace that God has lavished on all of us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody that's lived a perfect life. Everybody has messed up. And there's nobody that deserves grace. And then 6.23 in, in Romans says, For the wages of sin is death. So death is what we deserve for our sins. Our sins don't make us bad. Our sins make us dead. And death is what we deserve. But it says... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what? Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for this while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, while we were still in opposition to God, while we still wanted nothing to do with God, before we even knew about God or knew about sin, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Justified, what does that mean? It means that we're made right with God. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, since we have been made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Then Romans 8 one says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because where condemnation used to stand, now stands a cross that says you are not condemned, the chasm has been closed, and you are now connected to the God of heaven.